welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, where we take your questions from Sunday's teachings in order to form a dialogue about the scriptures and what God is teaching each and every one of us. Welcome back to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Today is Sunday, August 21st, and we are in the passage of the the sheep and the goats, the parable of the sheep and the goats here this morning. And uh, the main idea that came out of this passage was that changed people live changed lives. And and this is a a difficult parable. It's really not even a parable in its most formal structure. It it comes often or comes after two other parables, the parable of the talents and pounds and the parable of the wise and foolish maidens. And it really is more of an application of those parables. But because of the strong imagery within it, we often treat it as a parable. And that's not necessarily wrong to do, uh, by the way. It's not it's not a big deal that it's not structurally a, a specific or structurally a formal parable, uh, but that we treat it that way. It's, it's okay that we actually do that because of the strong imagery that is contained within it. Uh, it's actually helpful to approach it that way for us to understand uh, what Jesus is truly trying to teach and what he's trying to say uh, within this parable. But it's a, it's a striking, it's a striking passage and it, and it it gives us some really difficult truths and some difficult things to wrestle with for our lives and over our lives. And so I uh, love, love the questions that have been coming in over the um, the the series here for the parable series and and just engaging those questions, wrestling with those questions, struggling through those questions here on the on the podcast because we really do we really do believe in the power of God's word and we don't we want to engage in God's word together. We want to have a have a dialogue as much as we can around God's word from from Sunday morning. And uh, and so we don't want to treat it as if as if it's this this thing that we can't engage in or can't ask our questions or things like that. That's why we that's why we do this podcast. And so so today here you've got you've got just me on the podcast, and uh, and you've got some great we've got some great questions. So the first the first question that comes up, and we were talking about is about the sheep and the goats and and the the role or the the type of image that they are or or who they are really in their imagery. And, uh, and so the question goes, do, do both sheep and goats represent believers? Well, they were, they represent religious people, right? And so, uh, so they represent religious people because uh, again, and we've got to be cautious sometimes of, of reading too much into the text. And we can, we can do that, uh, not just in parables, but in all kinds of different ways and in all kinds of different passages. But specifically with parables, it's it's a it's a natural danger because there's so much imagery that we're trying to unpack and trying to understand that we can we can read into that imagery a little bit more than what might be there or what what the original context would have understood, right? And that studying the scriptures, the process of studying the scriptures is called hermeneutics, and uh, and and so within hermeneutics, that's uh, the technical. Uh, big $100 Bible word for it, theology word for it. Within hermeneutics, we have some different principles. And one of the core principles of hermeneutics, uh, good Bible study, is that the text can never mean something to us today that it did not mean to the original audience. And so when we look at the image of the sheep and the goats, what is really truly uh, striking about it is the separation of those uh, two groups. And when we look at them within the context of the story, when the context of Jesus is teaching, uh, both are aware of Jesus. They're, they're both inclined towards Jesus. They're both uh, have some knowledge set of who Jesus is. And so, so are they believers? I wouldn't say that they're both believers because if they were 
true believers, uh, then they they would have understood Jesus and they would be separated to the right. They'd be into uh, eternal reward, eternal life, right? Those that are separated away from Jesus they're but they're aware of Jesus. They have a, a an intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is. So they're religious. I, I'm I'm comfortable with the idea of saying that they are religious uh, because they know who Jesus is. They're aware of him, but they have just not been about Jesus's business. And in that, because they're not about Jesus's business, what do we understand about them is that the life of Jesus has not saturated them. And and in this, this is the idea of becoming a new creation. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 um, and various other places. We talked about it in, in Galatians chapter 5 as well, the fruit of the Spirit. He contrasts the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the flesh is uh, all of these just very un, uh, undesirable things uh, that we would look at in our lives and go, yep, I don't want any of that. And then you get the fruit of the Spirit. Which Paul says is, you know, peace, patience, love, joy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? All these different things. We are to be growing in that and growing in those things. And so the the identity of Jesus is to be saturating in us. Again, Paul, First Corinthians chapter or Second uh, Corinthians chapter five. We are new creations. We literally uh, have been made new in Jesus and are being made new and will continue to be made new. That's the grammatical sense of what Paul is saying there in Second Corinthians. And so in that, uh, again, sheep and goats in this passage, I would say that they're both religious people. They're aware of God. They're aware of Jesus, but they are approaching it with very different perspectives and very different motivations. And, And so for those that are welcomed into eternal life, they see Jesus, they see God in this with this perspective of relationship that they have become one with him, right? They're even confused. They even go, uh, when are we, when have we been about your work? When have we been about these things of hospitality? When have we fed you when you were hungry? Um, you know, clothed you when you were naked, visited you when you were sick, visited you when you're in prison, you know, all of those welcomed you when you were a stranger, all of those things. And, and the answer is Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, right? They've been about Jesus's business because they are saturated by Jesus's presence. And they are in this, this abiding relationship with him. And so they are being changed and it's, and it's flowing out of them. These actions are flowing out of them because they're in relationship with God. And we said it this way in the sermon that, uh, that in the context of the gospel, obedience always follows relationship, not the other way around. It's not that obedience wins relationship it's that obedience follows relationship. We are loved by God, experience that love of God, and are in relationship with him, and then we begin to follow him in obedience. So so again, so diving back into those the sheep and the goats, who are they, what are they, what do they represent? Uh, I don't think they, they don't both represent believers because one group is cast out, right? Um and true believers are always are welcomed, are already adopted into the family of God. Ephesians, uh, that's a, that's the message of of Ephesians. There, Jesus said it in John chapter ten, "The Father has given me my sheep; these are mine. None can, you know, uh, none can take them from me. They will not be separated from me. They will not perish." Um, so, so those who are Jesus's sheep, those who are believers, are uh, they are bound then into the family of God. 
but the sheep and the goats, I think they represent religious people. Um, and again, Jesus is talking in the context of the Passion Week. He's talking to disciples, uh, those who are aware of him. And so he is, he's giving them this stark contrast. It's, it, it really is about you are being changed in the gospel and you are being changed for a purpose. And so question number two then comes along asking about the least of these uh, phrase there. Does the least of these mean believers or everyone regardless of their beliefs? This is a great question. This is a great question. Um, In the context of the New Testament, what you'll see over and over and over again, especially in the letter of 1 John. 1 John's a really short letter. It's like uh, five chapters and um, five or six chapters it's short. You could read it probably in 20 minutes or half an hour altogether, uh, maybe an hour uh, if, if you're just going to, if you really sit down and take your time through it. Um, but it's not a long letter. It's a short letter. And and John's mantra over and over again in, in that letter, remember he's writing First John to a group of believers, a group of Christians who are struggling um, to love one another. Their church is being torn apart from the inside out. It's a literal church split that they're going through. And so there's conflict, there's strife. And and one of John's um, statements to them throughout the letter over and over again is that is that they are to love one another. And when they love one another, it's an outflow of the Father's love in them. He'll literally say in chapter 1 that the, that the love of the Father is being made perfect in you. And he doesn't mean that we will be perfect. He means that God's love is so sufficient and so complete that when we experience it, we are being made complete in God's love, right? And so there is this 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 sense of a journey of a growth with God uh, that we are being made complete in His love with His love, uh, all, all those kind of things. And so, so he's exp- that's John's message, right? You love one another. Now, this is in the context of Christian to Christian. Okay, you love one another. When it's hard, you'll show a better way. You'll love one another when it's hard. It gives you confidence that you are saved, that you are in Christ. Why? Because, uh, because you've experienced his love. And so now you're giving, you're giving God's love away. But what Jesus is saying here is that, and yes, I think we can, we can easily and appropriately extend it to all kinds of people within our lives. And so that's why, you know, at the end of the sermon, we come to this point of, well, what does hospitality look like in the 21st century? Is it only for people who share our beliefs? Is it only for Christians? Well, yes, first and foremost, it is for Christians in the household of God. Because if we can't extend each other grace, and we're both saying we're submitting to Jesus, then how is that giving anybody a picture of a better way, right? So if we can't love one another uh, in the way that Jesus loves us, when we have Jesus in common, how are you going to love other people uh with the love of Jesus when we don't have Jesus in common, right? So loving each other within the church is step one. But right behind it is step is step 1B, step two, however you want to think about it. Uh, these things go hand in hand. Um, we are to love others. We're to love others in our, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our spheres of relationship and influence um, that, that do not share our religious or philosophical or political convictions. Why? Well, because again, when we were God's enemy, he loved us. And Ephesians 2 at 9, uh, that salvation is a gift of grace, not by work so that any man can boast, right? And so God loves us. Um, John chapter 1, God made Jesus known to us. He, Jesus is the one who uh, comes in the fullness of grace and truth, right? So God loves us. He's made Jesus known to us when we were his enemies, 
when we were his enemies. Specifically, in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came into his own, and his own did not know him. Now, that's referring to the nation of Israel specifically at that point, right? Because Jesus is Jewish. He's born to a Jewish family. He's the Jewish Messiah. They had the, the scriptures that forecast and predicted the Messiah. So Jesus comes to his own people, and they don't know him. They reject him. Yes, yeah, some believe uh, we've got the disciples, we've got Nicodemus, we've got a whole groundswell of people that believe. And then ultimately, when we've seen the book of Acts, we studied this last year, we, we see all kinds of people believe, even the Gentiles. Luke closes Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 28, even the Gentiles will believe. Just at the enormity of the gospel, right? the, the, the unpredictability of the gospel. Uh, look, it, what we thought was going to be this, this very small thing, is now it's now worldwide. It's on fire. It's growing. And so, uh, so I think what we see in the history of the church, in the early church, it, it is a yes, serving inside the house of God, serving each other as brothers and sisters, loving each other as brothers and sisters, but it's also in those next spheres of relationship, loving people who we don't have uh, political or social or religious uh, beliefs in common and working for their good because God works for our good. Uh, it's been a mark of the church, really, um, over the last 2,000 years of a willingness to love others and to and to work for the good of others. I was uh, talking with someone even after service and talking about how um, the reason we have child labor laws in our country today are, are really because of Christian advocates, Christian advocates that believed in the uh, importance and the sacredness of children to God and that children should not be manipulated and taken advantage of and, and all those kind of things. And so we have child labor laws because of Christians, because of their... Uh, their view being shaped by God of the dignity of human life and the value and the sacredness of children, which is an ahistorical view of children. We tend to think that all throughout history we saw children as valuable and lovely and cuddly. That just isn't historically accurate. And so um, so with that, though, uh, Christian spaces, Christian spheres, uh, Christian thinkers, writers, Christians themselves have always been active in these spaces of working for the good of others. You, you, you find evidence of the plagues in Europe of Christians going and caring for people during the plagues. You find evidence of Christians caring for children that were cast out onto um, really, really what were burning trash piles. And this is a practice in, in the Roman, in the Roman world that if you had a child and you didn't want it, you just literally threw it away. And you know, these are stark, harsh, cold pictures of, of history, but we see Christians stepping into those spaces and caring for those children, adopting those children, taking them in. So all throughout the Christian, all throughout the centuries, we see Christians taking care of and loving others, even when we don't share the uh, same belief set. But again, I think we should be reminded if we are if we are Christians, then if we can't love one another in the church, in the family of God, with God's love, then how are we going to present a better picture of that love to those who, who do not believe, uh, to those who do not share our convictions uh, or our perspectives? And, and so, I just again, I love these questions. I love as we wrestle with them, and I love as we think about them and chew on them together. It just again, it helps us to to not treat the scriptures as sterile or as these sort of uh, one point short, you know. Uh, sound bites that so often happens within our culture. And so this this other this last question comes and it says, how do we distinguish the difference between God's judgment and the world's judgment? 
Some worldly judgment sounds good as constructive criticism. So how can we make sure that we are hearing God's voice in our thoughts and our conversations with others and not the devil uh, trying to instill, instill fear and lies within us? This is a great question. And I love the the heart behind it and the introspection behind it and the self-examination behind it. I think, again, I think we should all approach um, uh, our relationship with God in this way of, Lord, come and examine me. David said it in Psalm 19, right? He says, make me as low as hyssop. Examine the inner parts of me, right? Expose the parts of me that I don't even know are sinful or selfish yet, right? So David wants that kind of examination from the Lord, and we should desire it as well. I think when we talk about distinguishing the difference between God's judgment and the world's judgment, part of it is we go, okay, uh, what is our filter? What is our compass? What's our rubric? What's our lens, right? How are we interpreting those things? And ultimately for Christians, uh, our interpretation is always the word of God. So if we get some criticism from somebody outside of the body of Christ and, you know, that criticism is, hey, you know, you weren't very patient or you weren't very kind or the way that you said that thing didn't land very well. Well, we can go with the word of God and go, okay, well, we're supposed to be patient. We're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be gentle and self-controlled, right? Fruits of the Spirit, again, Galatians chapter five. So it might not have been what I said was unbiblical or ungodly. Maybe the way I said it was, right? Or maybe it was just not the best tact for the moment. I think we can receive those things, those criticisms, and go, okay, um, you know, I, I received that. It's in the Word of God. I'm supposed to be living this way. Maybe I need to understand there's different tact in different situations or different scenarios. If we're talking about, um, so I think I think that's well, that's one way where we can receive it and filter it against God's word, and that's a that's a behavior or a response uh, filter, right? Um, if we're talking about uh, the world's judgment and God's judgment, as in right and wrong, uh, and, and again we're we're hearing one story from the world saying this thing is not wrong, and yet we're hearing from God that it is wrong, uh, and it's not healthy, or it's not for the thriving of society or the thriving of humanity, and those kind of things. And we shouldn't encourage its flourishing. Uh, again, it's the word of God that helps clarify those things for us. Now, that doesn't mean that our message uh, we can say we can we can say the truth of God with, and I, I believe we have a responsibility. So, hear me on this. I believe we have this responsibility to to speak the truth of God with the grace of God, right? Because Jesus came in grace and truth, and we've said it this way: that grace makes truth palatable. Right, um, and so I believe we have the responsibility to speak the truth of God with the grace of God, um, but that doesn't that doesn't always mean that people are going to receive it uh, with humble, teachable spirits. Right, the gospel is offensive because the gospel calls out our self centered natures. They call out our selfishness. They call out it calls out our pride. It calls out our you know our our disordered desires where we re elevate things that we think will make us complete. And it says, no, the only thing that'll make you complete is, is Jesus and ultimately your submission to the way of Jesus. And it's like what we said this morning, that when we pursue God's glory, his glory, the way that he defines it, we will actually find our greatest good. That's not an easy process, right? It's an uncomfortable, it's an uncomfortable thing. And it means that we're going to be challenged in our perspectives there. So how do we distinguish between the difference between God's judgment and the world's judgment? I think in that question, if it's if it's that we're, you know, we've done something that uh, 
Again, it goes on, some worldly judgment sounds good as constructive criticism. Uh, so how can we make sure we're hearing God's voice in our thoughts and conversations with others and not just the devil trying to instill fears and fear and lies in us? I, again, I, I think we can engage those things. And go, okay, is it constructive criticism? Was my tact off? Was the way that I represented this group or this issue off? Um, you know, am I speaking kindly and am I speaking gently? Am I, am I speaking firmly about truth though, you know, as well, because you can do those things together. You can be gentle and truthful at the same time. Um, and, and so, uh, that's often a, a process that I'm, I, I continue to learn. And I've joked, uh, before from the pulpit that, you know, my wife will tell me, Kyle, you're a hammer, but not everything's a nail. Right. Um, and so I work hard not to just look at people and go, well, I'm a truth teller. So sorry. That just means I'm about to be a jerk and I haven't thought through my tact. You know what I mean? And so uh, we can hear the constructive criticism evaluated against the word of God. Are we standing on the right things? And, and how, what can we learn from uh, that criticism to help us deliver that message in a way that's a little bit more palatable. In the reality that knowing that it's not, the gospel is never going to be truly palatable apart from the Spirit's leading. And, and in that, the second part of the question is, you know, hearing God's voice in our thoughts and our conversations and not trying uh, with others and not the devil trying to instill fear and lies in us. And so in that, again, what is the scripture, what do the scriptures say about you, about who you are uh, and, and the things that uh, Jesus speaks over you, things that God speaks over you, right? The scriptures tell us, I mean, this morning in this passage, in this uncomfortable, difficult passage, Jesus reminds us that we are to, we are to inherit. If we have given our life to Jesus, placed our faith in Jesus, we are inheritors of, of uh, God's eternal life, right? Paul will go on in Ephesians, he'll, in Ephesians chapter 1, he'll say, we are heirs of all spiritual blessings. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, we are new creations. John chapter 10, uh, my sheep know my voice uh, and they follow me. They are mine. They will not perish, right? So um, again, the passage, some of the passages we referenced here even this morning, we go, what do the scriptures say about you and me? And that's what we need to root our identity ultimately in. And when I have a bad moment, maybe I don't say something as well as I could. Um, when I have a bad moment, okay, that was a bad moment. Um, when I need to, when I need to ask the Father for forgiveness, maybe I lost my temper. I wasn't as patient as I could have been, should have been, or or those kind of things. Like when I ask the Father for forgiveness, first First John chapter one, uh, verse uh, nine or ten in there, uh, it says that when we are faithful to forgive, the Father is faithful to forgive us, right? So that's what God says about who we are and about who he is. And so we don't have to hide in shame even when we blow it, even when we don't uh, approach the conversation in the best or most tactful way. Because the honest reality is that uh, the conversations that we're going to have day in and day out, they're going to hit us at different times. We're going to be tired. We're going to be exhausted. We're going to have a, a fight with our spouse or, you know, a fight with our kids or, uh, or whatever it is. Put yourself in any number of life situations and you're just going to go, I wasn't my best self in that moment. You know what? And God, would you forgive me uh, for maybe the way that I said something or my attitude or my heart in that? And, and the scriptures remind us that he's faithful to forgive us. And that when we're in Christ, we are never separated from Christ. That we are His, um, and, and we are we are solidly His. And it's never our performance that earns us that that love of God. And so, 
So we need to bathe ourselves in the truth of who God says we are so that we can receive criticism and weigh it back against the the truth of the scriptures. Uh, Is that criticism fair? Well, if the criticism is that you're, you know, holding to biblical truth and the culture says don't hold to biblical truth, well, then we just throw that out because uh, we're going to hold the biblical truth because we believe that the Bible is true and that when we do that, it actually leads to our good and our neighbor's good, right? Uh, it doesn't mean it's easy to do, but we believe that since God is ultimately good and is ultimate goodness, his ways are ultimately good and our flourishing is found in following his ways. Now, if the criticism is you held to a biblical conviction and you did it as kind of a jerk, well, then maybe we need to evaluate on on those things as you know, and go, okay, how can I present that idea in a more palatable, more gracious way? Again, we're called to speak the truth of God with the grace of God. So I love I love these questions as we wrestle with, you know, uh, the sheep and the goats again. Who are they? Are they believers? Are they religious? Um, you know, ultimately comes down to their perspective on who Jesus is. Those who were the goats that are being separated into condemnation and ultimately into eternal separation. Uh, uh, they had a wrong perspective of Jesus. They came to it with a self-preservation mindset. They came to it with a moralism, a gospel of performance. If I do these things, then you will love me. And they just, they didn't get the heart of Jesus. They didn't get the heart of Jesus. They wanted to serve the Savior, not be about the Savior's business, which again, sounds really religious, sounds really upright, um, but they've they missed it. They missed it. They're still... Uh, trying to save themselves by their own works. And and those that were welcomed into eternal life, they got it. They got the right perspective on Jesus, and their lives are being transformed. They were being changed from the inside out, and their lives were were following, were, were demonstrating that. And because of that, um, it was representative of the work that was being done deeper inside of them, right? And so uh, obedience always follows relationship in the gospel, and, uh, and, just, and just love this as we continue to sort through what does it look like to follow Jesus in a, in a wholehearted way and how do we do that within culture, within our context, resisting the lies of the devil, uh, but holding on to the truth of God and being able to receive criticism uh, constructively and grow in that and, and present the truth of God with the grace of God. So again, love these questions. Love that we get to have a dialogue around the scriptures and so we'll see you next week as we close out our parable series with the parable on the mustard seed see you next sunday